1 Kings. We're going to talk about today wisdom for men. Wisdom for men. And we're going to start with the life of Solomon. We're going to look at what I want you to I'll just kind of give you an idea of where we're going. I'm going to, we're going to notice areas of wisdom that Solomon had. He was, he was wise in specific areas. We're going to look at them. And then we're going to focus on one specific area that we need to be wise in. And so, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I'm going to, it's just going to be like, kind of like a 10-minute Bible study, 10 to 15-minute Bible study for these first, for our first moments here, first 10 to 15 minutes, because I want you to be able to clearly see the, the type of um, insight and wisdom that Solomon had. I don't want to just tell you. I can tell, I got my notes and I can say he was this, this, and that. I want you to see it. And then we're going to narrow it down to one particular type of wisdom that we need as men and then show you how it applies, okay? So wisdom for men. Um, Solomon was the richest man of all time. And he was, the set, he was the third king in Israel, richest man of all time. If you do an equivalent of him, if you do a study and find out the, the modern-day equivalent uh, of his wealth today, he would be a multi-trillionaire. So I don't know that anybody's ever going to be able to surpass him because if they do ever have a trillionaire, it's probably going to be that he's going to be, by inflation, his would have been high, much higher. I don't know anybody who's ever going to pass him. He was incredibly wealthy and he was very wise and he asked, asked God for that wisdom. Here in 1 Kings 3, just be patient as we read this here. Let's look in 1 Kings 3, verse 5. This is the one of those pivotal moments in Solomon's life where he get something special from God when God appeared to him. 1 Kings 3, verse 5, And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept... For him, this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a ch little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be 
any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. This is where God tell, it shows up in a dream and how God used dreams to communicate at times in history. And this wasn't just a dream. This became a reality, as you'll see now in the preceding verses and chapters. He said, God said, what do you want? You know, some people think of the genie. Give me three wishes, you know. Except this is no fiction here. This is God, the God of truth. What do you want? And he could have said a lot of things. He said, I'm, I'm just I'm thankful you made me the king. I, I mean, my dad, you, you're good to my dad, and now you're letting me be king? Oh, wow. I just feel like I feel like a little kid here. I don't know how to go out or come in. I just, uh. see, we think Solomon's always been wise. Like he was got the straight A's in high school and, you know, graduated summa cum laude, da di da and all that. And, and, but he, he, what? he felt like, I, I, I don't feel adequate. And he says, give me a wise and understanding heart. Now notice what he says, verse 9. Give therefore an understanding heart to judge thy people. I, help me deal with these people of yours. I need that. And so God says, I'll do that for you. And I'm going to give you what he didn't ask for. You could have asked for riches in the life of your enemies. And I'm going to give you those riches. Nobody's ever going to be like you. And so let's look at the kind of wisdom that he had. Notice, well, I'm going to show you seven types of wisdom. This isn't the main points, but these points lead to another main point. We notice, first of all, it's proven that he has judicial wisdom. The story that follows, I'm not going to read all of it, from verses, let's see, really verse 16 to 28. The story that follows, a famous story. And it follows right after this request, give me wisdom, God says, I'll give you wisdom. Then right after that, it's proven he's got wisdom. These two women who are harlots were fighting about over a baby. They each had a baby at some point. Some of you know this story. They each had a baby. One of them rolled on their baby and suffocated it, and the baby died in the sleep, or the baby died while the mother was sleeping. That mother, who realized her baby died, went over to the other harlot, they're probably in the same house, took her living baby, kept it, took her dead baby that she smothered and gave it over to the other woman while she's sleeping. So she traded babies when the, when the mother didn't know it. The other mother didn't know it. They woke up, the, the one mother wakes up, she goes, this isn't my baby, this baby's dead too. And she looks over at the other lady, that's my baby. No, it's not, it's mine. And they fuss about it. Two moms fussing over their babies. Ooh, watch out. That's not easy to deal with, you know. Two moms fussing about babies with each other. And so they come before Solomon and, you know, the one says, uh, they each tell their story. They told the story that I just said, we were sleeping and um, I woke up and this baby's here and it's a dead baby and I'm looking, it's not even my baby. And I see that my baby's over here with this lady, and I think she's, she traded it out, and they're, they're appealing to Solomon. And then they start, no, it's mine. The living, is, the living is mine. The dead is yours. No, the living is, the living is mine, and the dead is yours. And they're going back and forth, and now Solomon's like, bring me a sword. Let's just cut it in half and make this even. And so he's not being rash. He's being wise. God gave him this wisdom. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Simple. What a simple thing there. Give me a sword, let's cut this thing in half. And Solomon knew what he was doing. He was provoking the truth out of somebody. And one of those women's like, no, stop, just give her the baby, give her the baby, give her the baby. 
And he was drawing the truth out of the true mom. And he says, oh, there's the mom right there. Give the living baby to that mom. And then everybody, notice verse uh, 28, the comment on that story of chapter 3. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. So when they heard that, like, oh yeah, Saul, we heard Solomon had this dream, and he, he asked God for wisdom, and God's going to give him wisdom and riches. Okay, whatever. And then they hear about this instantly. They thought, oh wow, this guy pretty, really is wise. God made him wise. Judicial, he had this judicial wisdom. Notice another area. He had administrative wisdom or organizational wisdom, you could say. Look at chapter 4. Sometimes when you, you come onto a chapter and you just take a quick glance at it, you're like, oh, this is going to be boring. You start seeing names and a lot of commas and hyphens and accent marks from names, and you're going, what is this about? Chapter 4, verses 1 through 19, I will, tr- I will sum it up for you. It's basically telling you about his administration. It says, look at the first verse, chapter 4, verse 1. King Solomon was king over all Israel, verse 2, and these were the princes which he had. What it's saying is, here's all the the structure of his organization. He had this guy over the money, this guy over the taxes. He had these 12 over the other tribes who were bringing in some um, some of the materials and the products that were Uh, necessary in his kingdom he had officers he had a principal officer he had a house he had somebody over his household and it's describing his wisdom as an administrator he was judicially wise he was administratively wise we see right there notice also i want you to move along here look at chapter four we're going to see several points of wisdom in just a few verses now in chapter four notice this chapter four verse Well, let's pick up in verse 29, chapter 4, verse 29. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. Well, now it starts naming names that they would have known in that day and age, contemporaries. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman the Cal, uh, and, K- and Calcal, and Darda the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. So here it's just saying, yeah, he was very wise, he was very well known. So we saw that he was judicially wise, we saw that he was administratively wise. And this third one is in verse 32. I see, we see two of them in verse 32. We see. We see thirdly, he was he was he was he had how did I put this? Com, he had the common sense wisdom. He had street smarts. It says he wrote all these proverbs. He spake three thousand proverbs. And I don't know if that was how I don't know if that's how many proverbs. I don't think we have that many proverbs in our the book of proverbs. So he likely spake these. He did speak the proverbs that we find in the book of proverbs. And then beyond that, what is essentially in the book of Proverbs? It's kind of like street smarts. It's practical stuff, you know. It's practical wisdom. He had, he had, he had a common sense wisdom. I've seen guys, who, I went to school with guys, they did calculus and they did advanced AP biology and chemistry. And I was like, man, I'm not in that stuff. But they couldn't change a tire in the parking lot of their, of their car. I thought... And I used to think, I can change the tire. I don't know the calculus stuff. I definitely don't know that. It'd be good to know both. 
But I, I've seen guys, they didn't have kind of the common sense wisdom or the street smarts. Solomon had that, judicial, administrative, common sense. And then look at the rest of that verse. He had, he had lyrical wisdom or musical wisdom. <laughs> His songs were a thousand and five. Oh, I didn't know he was a songwriter. Well, actually I did, the Song of Solomon. But it, made it, it sounds like he had other songs too. A thousand and five songs. I would like to write one song. That would be good. I actually have a, I actually have like a little thing of, a, of one song I have written. I have no tune. I wish I could find a tune sometime. And I've tucked it and hid it away, this little song. Um, I, did, I did have a chorus one time. I did write a chorus one time. We sang it years ago. But um, Solomon has a thousand and five? Wow. That's amazing. So he had lyrical wisdom or musical wisdom. Here's another area. Botanical wisdom. He knew the flora, and we'll see also he knows the fauna. The botanical wisdom of Solomon. Look at verse 33. He spake of trees. From the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. Oh, he knows his, he knows his uh, uh, arboriculture. He knows, the, he knows this botany and some natural remedies, most likely. Isn't that neat? It's neat when you see a person that knows a little bit. Actually, he knows a lot of bit in a lot of areas, right? He's a... He was the, that, that's not good English there. Uh, I don't know if you're correcting him. A lot of bit. <laughs> but uh, he, he, you get it. Here we go. Common sense wisdom, lyrical wisdom, botanical wisdom, zoological wisdom. Look at the rest of verse 33. He knows his flora. Now he knows his fauna. He spake also, the middle of the verse, he spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. Now I can speak of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. I can talk about them. But it's saying that he knows what he's talking about. I mean, he knew the, you know, what the, in our case, you know, we, we know the vertebrates and the vertebrates, the mammals and the fish and the birds, different, different non-mammals, I should say. And uh, he knew all that in, in their, however they divided it. And he knew the, um, uh, perhaps a lot of the characteristics of different beasts and the birds of the air and the fishes. And wow, wow, he was wise, creeping things as well. So zoological wisdom. And then it, it made him internationally attractive. Look at verse 34. He was, he was an international attraction. There came of all people, verse 34. There came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon. From all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, but there's still a few, there's at least one more area of wisdom I want you to see that he had. All right? Um, we're going to grab from a few verses here. You'll see the picture. We're going to see he had fiscal or economic wisdom. He was a good capitalist for his day. Look here what it says in chapter 9, verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. <clears throat> verse 15, it says, And this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised. So he raised the levy, it's a tax. For to build the house of the Lord and his own house. And Milo and the wall of Jerusalem. Well, that's good. And Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. There's these other cities. So he's, he's saying, all right, we gotta have we got to raise some taxes or at least have a, um, I don't know if it meant they raise existing taxes or let's just have some taxes for the king's house, the Lord's house, and these walls and these other towns, and let's get some things built up here. But he didn't deplete his people either. 
Notice also what it says in verse 26 to 28. And the king made a navy of ships. Now this isn't just, well, he's interested in warfare. This is a capitalistic interest here. He made a navy of ships in Izan Geber, which is beside Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. So this, is the, this isn't their main customary coastline of the Mediterranean. This is south. He's, he's strategically placing himself in certain areas to benefit financially. And they're going to launch out, notice verse 27, Hiram and, and Hiram, sent, so he's, he's buddies with the king of Tyre, that's wise, uh, sent in the navy of his servants, pardon me, let me read it again, and Hiram sent in the navy his servants, shipmen that had knowledge of the sea with the servants of Solomon. So he's already made friends with Tyre king, or Hiram king of Tyre, who was his dad's friend. Bible says don't forsake your dad's friends. In Proverbs, <coughs> there's a Proverbs that don't, says don't forsake the friends that your dad had. I mean, <coughs> obviously if they're extremely wicked, you should. But you want to benefit from the good relationships your father had. They'll always they'll automatically give favor to you because you were their son. Well, he was, <coughs> excuse me, a, a friends with Hiram, king of another country, and this guy had men who uh, could uh, mill timber, and they helped him with that. But also they were, they knew the sea, and so he had a good alliance here with them. He put them these men in his ships with his servants. And there was, it wasn't futile. It had some results. Look what it says. Verse 28. They came to Ophir. Okay, well, first of all, nobody really knows where this is at. You can look it up. It might be the tip of Africa. It could be the horn. It could be the, because uh, there are some places of gold mines and different places that they found in, in Africa. It could have been in India. They're not for sure where Ophir is, but it's far away. And they, look what it says. They came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. I'll be honest with you. I didn't look up the equivalent of a talent, but it sounds heavy, 420. And it sounds uh, worth a long sea journey. This guy had it. I mean, he, he had wisdom in all these areas. He had the wisdom judicially, organizationally, um, uh, musically, botanically, zoologically. You need something there, Yannick? Wow. So do the math on that. And then figure out that about gold. That's a lot. $280 billion today. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's... And then next year it'll be more because of inflation. <laughs> but uh, here's what I want you guys to see. He, he was wise in all these areas, but look where he wasn't wise. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. <coughs> but, <laughs> chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Well, that's not wise. I mean, you didn't even need some mighty revelation out of heaven to tell him not to do that. He already had it in the Bible. All right. King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Let's keep reading here till verse 8. Of the nations which 
concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Let's read one more verse. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice. We'll stop right there. He, and I'll add one more verse here. Nehemiah comments on this. In Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 23 to 26. Nehemiah said, to his countrymen, hey guys, you're marrying, you're going to these strange women, stop it. He said it a lot more forcefully than I'm saying it. And Nehemiah was upset at his countrymen for marrying basically unbelievers in this case. And he said, you guys are going to get messed up if you do this, these strange women. And then he appeals to a man that's much wiser than his countrymen, had much more power than his fellow countrymen, and much more wealth, he appeals to Solomon. He says, guys, what about Solomon? Even him, did not him even, did not him even outlandish women cause to sin? He says, guys, you think you're above this? Even Solomon, in, in, light, in spite of all the blessing, pretty much every blessing you can think of materialistically was on him and intellectually was on him. And yet, what threw him down? The women. And he told us, men, the, the men of his day, guys, stay away. Have one wife, basically, you know, and be faithful to her. So here's the deal for us. We're gonna, let's, let's, let's just tie this to us. I want, I, want, I want you guys to hear me a second. I've realized, of course, you have been hearing me, but I mean, particularly on this point, listen to this. Um, we can be wise in a lot of areas, and some of us are. Some of us are Leah wise and... Uh, wise and in, 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 I'm thinking of your, some of your fields right now, academics and computers and mechanics and, and medical field and, and uh, other, you know, uh, design and, um, um, you know, just whatever your field is, we're, we're wise. And some of you are wise in another area that you're not being paid for. You're, you have insight into some other academic subject or even some factual things from the Bible. We can be, we can excel in these areas like Solomon and be wise in these areas. But if we are wise in all those areas and yet we fail in this area of being wise with women, it's going to be most devastating. Most devastating. I just want to say this. This is what I've noticed in the last few years among Christians, especially even actually among everybody, Christians, non-Christians. Here's what we do with kids. We say we apply, and I'm not against 
doing excelling academically and celebrating with a child when they excel academically. But we tend to emphasize, look at how well they're doing in school. Look at, uh, look at the, uh, the grades they got. And, and I've seen it. I've seen, let's just put it to you this way. I've seen it. Uh, Christian school graduations and stuff, kids and guys that have gotten, you know, they've excelled and they've done well. And I don't want anybody to think any, anything that, I, that you shouldn't do that. But I've seen it where they got these accolades and these accomplishments and the best student and all these things. And you find out the guy's, the guy's messing up, though, with girls. And to me, my value is I don't care if he gets the best grades. I want him to win with girls because they'll throw you down. Look at Solomon. That's where we need to win. We need to win where, where we need to win where the country is not putting an emphasis right now. They're putting an emphasis on women in the wrong way, but they're not putting an emphasis on overcoming temptation and, hand, and taking care of our own wife and having the best marriage ourselves. So here's the deal. The point of all that is this one thing. We must be wise with women. See, so a lot of men, they want to be wise with their car. They want to be wise with their computer and their job and in and and politics and know everything. Okay, fine. But we have to really be, have some wisdom with women. Your own? And anybody else out, any other woman out there? We really have to be wise with women. They'll throw you down like Solomon. Solomon, that was his downfall. Solomon's life tells us this. This is basically what it's yelling at us right now. Be wise with women. How can we be wise in this area? How can we be wise? That's what we're going to answer. There's really two, as I, we could go a long ways on this, but I'm just going to give two points of wisdom that we need to really embrace. Two points of wisdom that we need to have as it pertains to us as men dealing with women or some of you guys, young ladies, this is what we need. I'll tell them to you, and then we'll break them down. First, we need to give priority to our own marriage. The Scripture emphasizes a man prioritizing his own marriage. Giving on, the word is honor. Giving honor to the wife. That means prioritize the marriage you got. There's wisdom in that, in, in, in doing that, and in keeping us right. The second point of wisdom that we need to exercise with women is not just get, prioritizing our own marriage, but being prudent with every, everybody else, anybody, any other woman. Be prudent. That's a key word, prudent. So let's think about that here, guys. I, I want to win. I want to be, I may never have the wealth, the insight, the encyclopedic knowledge of Solomon, the power. That, I don't, that is fine with me, but I want to win where he lost. And here's how. Number one, let's learn to give honor to our own wife, to prioritize our marriage. The, the, giving honor, it's the idea of prioritize her. Um, the word give honor means to give priority, to give rank, high attention to. We talked about this uh, two weeks ago. Make a big deal of your own marriage. And some of you little guys that, are, are, that aren't married, and some of you, a couple teen guys in here, um, just have it in your mind right now that when you get married, she's going to be besides the Lord. The Lord is number one, okay? She will, besides the Lord, she will be the number one relationship that you need to uh, care for. Not your games and your buddies and your, your 
uh, respectable boss. No, she will be number one next to the Lord. She's number one. Have that in your mind right now. That is, that is, that's how God designed it. Two shall be one. Um, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, care instructions for our wife. I'm going to just remind us of these quickly. These care instructions are ways that we continue to give honor to our wife. Um, it's seen that we have prioritized our marriage. How is it seen that we're honoring our wife and prioritizing our marriage? And that we provide for her, 1 Timothy 5.8. That we rejoice with her, first, uh, Proverbs 5.18. That we, Proverbs 5 teaches that we only let her satisfy the and ravish the in, in areas of the romance and sexual issues. Only let her satisfy thee. Um, that's showing that you're prioritizing her. You prioritize her by taking heed to your attitude, your spirit toward her. Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Sometimes we can get an attitude with our wife. Take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Um, here's another evidence that we're giving honor to our wife and prioritizing our marriages. We're not letting anything put us asunder as much as we can. Don't let something divide you from her. Certainly not cause a divorce. I know it happens, and if when it does happen, things need, you need to make adjustments, but don't let man put you asunder. Matthew 19, 4-6. Bear her infirmities, Romans 15, 1. The dominant one is love sacrificially, Ephesians 5. Render due benevolence. Let's talk, that's another way of saying meet her needs in every way. And it, it, the really, really, the context is talking about romantically and sexually. Render due benevolence, 1 Corinthians 7, chap, that first part of that chapter. Do not be bitter against her, Colossians 3.8. Dwell with her, 1 Peter 3. Dwell with her according to knowledge, that means know her. So, um, here's what I'm saying is that that's how I care for, those are pictures of how to care for your wife. And I'm, if I'm busy caring for my wife and loving her like I ought to, that's going to keep me out of a lot of trouble. That'll keep me out of a lot of trouble. And then on the flip side of that, number two, the other side of that, so we want to be, give honor to your wife, prioritize your marriage. On the other side, another point of wisdom that will keep us safe and win, we can win where Solomon lost is be prudent around all other women. I'm not going to look up every verse, but the Bible talks about discretion shall keep thee, knowledge shall preserve thee. The Bible talks about in Proverbs, you know, a prudent man, being a prudent man. That means just being a little cautious, having some foresight, being, um, uh, you know, astute, I guess you could say in some ways. So here's some, how do I know? Here's marks of prudence. Let me give you four marks of a prudent man. Four marks of a prudent man. We guard our eyes. We guard our eyes. Uh, our eyes are gates that are always, just about always open, right? I mean, when we sleep, they're not, but... We guard our eyes. Job 31, verse 1. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? I've made a covenant. Let's look at that verse. Proverbs, Job 21, pardon me, Job 31, verse 1. So what happened, the, the context here, again, Job has been afflicted. God allowed a severe affliction in his life. God was controlling it. He, was, he had the hand on the dial and, and everything. And Job's trying to figure out, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Did I do this? Did I do that? Do that? And one thing Job knew he, wasn't, he didn't do. He's like, I know I have not been, I've been faithful to my wife, I'll tell you that much. 
He knew that, and he's verbalizing stuff, how he's kept himself. So he knew that wasn't a problem. But we're learning in his language here, um, verse, chapter 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? This is the language. I got that wrong when I quoted it earlier. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? That's interesting. So he wouldn't think because he hadn't even looked in the first place. And, and then I told you that our gates of our, the, our eye gates always open. Well, sometimes we've let stuff in and we close it. Now we can think about the wrong thing. So Job says, I'm not even having a problem thinking about a maid, a young little lady or whatever. I'm not even, I'm not, that's not one of my problems because in our eyes, we got an agreement and, um, and we've made a covenant with them. So the thinking part is not a problem. And then he goes on to describe the, the peril of being unfaithful and it's a fire that consumeth unto destruction that would root out all my increase. Um, anyways, I'm not going to get into all that, but for us, what does that mean? Okay, it would be prudent for me to be like Job, to guard my eyes, to guard my eyes. Race horses guard their eyes so they could get going on the race, don't get distracted here or there. Um, here, quickly, we want to guard our eyes in person, around women, in print, in entertainment, and then in our phone. I mean, those are the things that come to mind. In person, in print, in entertainment, around the phone. Just because it's a cool movie and everybody else is seeing it, if there's something in there with a woman that, that really is bothering you, I mean, obviously, it's, if it's nakedness, that's not, that should be gone. We don't even need to watch anything that's, where there's nakedness at all, at all. But sometimes, you know, there's movies, ah, that's not the best dress, you know. Some, that's an area where you're just going to have to say, should I watch this uh, Elizabethan age where they are like not covered all the way? That's, it's kind of a weird thing where some of them they are like this and then other ones are just showing too much. Like, which can we make a choice here, people, in the 1800s or whatever it was, 17, I don't know. And, and sometimes my wife was into one of these movies. I can't remember what it was. It was probably more of a, I, I don't know what it was. It was like... Sense and sensibility. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, Dad, I don't want to watch this. This ladies did just forgot to wear the rest of their clothing, you know. And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, sweetie. And so, so the thing is, is you know what I'm talking about, guys. Let's guard our eyes. Here's another mark of prudence. Secondly, purging our heart when our eyes have let something get past. We need to purge our heart. A couple of verses I want to quote for you. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Psalm 19.13 tells us, uh, pardon me, the, the, the psalmist says, um, um, keep thy servant, let's, let me, I'm going to mess it up, so let's look in Psalm 19.13, that's a good, it's a good verse here, I want you to see mainly the second half of it, Psalm 19.13, notice what David says, a prayer, he says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Notice this next phrase. Um, then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. How is David going to be innocent and upright? He says, but Lord, just keep me back from presumptuous. Ah, it's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. It's okay to see that and watch this. He says, Lord, don't even let me be so presumptuous on these sins. There's certain sins that people are presumptuous of. And David says, 
God, keep me back from presumptuous sins because if, I'm pre, if I just take for granted this sin and that sin and this little compromise there and that little watching there, you know what? That's going to lead to the great transgression. But he says, keep me back from that and then I'll be innocent from the great transgression. Um, so guarding eyes, purging a heart, avoiding isolated situations. This is marks of prudence. Avoiding an isolated situation. Joseph found himself in an isolated situation. And he escaped it as soon as he could. 1 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. So we want to avoid isolated situations with another woman. That would be prudent, right? Wouldn't that be prudent, guys? Uh, I know, you know, I'll just, I've told you this before, but um, okay, I really avoid, I mean, when I'm working here, sometimes the ladies will come to clean. If they come with their family, that's good. But if they're coming by themselves, I'll just leave. And I'm not saying I'm a great person. I'm not. I'm just giving you a little example. Um, and it's, it's, for, it's for my own flesh's sake, but it's also for testimony's sake, even if, like, I'm fine. Well, I don't want to give an appearance of evil. Um, and there's been times, I'm fine, I can, I'm used to, I don't really have an office yet. I, wherever I open up my Bible and pull up my phone or my laptop, that's an office, so I can, I can make do somewhere else. But then I'm also realizing that even with texting, you can kind of get in an isolated conversation through texting and calls. I know that if we want to, you can do all kinds of things if you want to. But I'm trying lately since there's so many, I, I text the church often, Sometimes uh, somebody will text me. Uh, 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 I, I obviously get texts from y'all. Sometimes one of the ladies will text me. If they text me, I might text them back. If it continues on, I double my wife on there, and they, she gets in on the conversation. Um, I'm often thinking, all right, just add Deb to this conversation, and she, she's in on it. Just for accountability's sake and just for my wife's own peace of mind. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to avoid... Isolated situations in person, in text, isolated um, drives. Brother Adam told us one, he told me one time, maybe he told you guys too, he said he really avoids in his work, sometimes he'll have to come and go somewhere. And, um, and he said there was a few times I just, I ha it was difficult for him to have somebody with him. There was a, I don't know if it was a manager or a boss had to take him somewhere. And so he had to ride with her, and he's like, I don't know what to do. So he gets on the phone and talks to his wife the whole time. I'm like, that's good. That's one way to bring, a, bring her in. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to talk to my wife here. And he just talks to his wife the whole time. I thought, that's, that's good. That's good. I think that's what we need, guys. That's marks of prudence, right? Um, and then number another mark of um, prudence was avoid isolated situations, but also avoid excessive time with another Another coworker, neighbor, sister in the church, you know? We gotta avoid ex excessive time. Um, one pastor told us, be friendly. He's talking about to the sisters in the church. Be friendly, but not familiar. Don't just be he's saying, don't be too familiar. Just be friendly. They're your sister, but you don't get too chummy. Solomon was not, I start thinking, he asked God for wisdom. 
But in the in a sense, look what he's look what it says back at chapter eleven. Pardon me, chapter four. Pardon me, chapter three. Chapter three. When he asked God for the word he uses that's translated, it says understanding. God later on calls it wisdom. But notice the request he made. Give, therefore, because he felt so inadequate. Felt like a little kid, felt so inadequate. He says, give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart. For what? To judge thy people. Now, I pray the same thing as a pastor to, for God's people in this church. Obviously, it's not a whole nation like Solomon had. But I pray for this because I need it. But let's put ourselves in the situation. He didn't ask, give, thy, give therefore thy servant understanding heart to deal with all the other temptations and the women. And so we should say that, Lord, give me, an un, give me wisdom and understanding to keep myself pure and wise in dealing with women, to love my wife, make the most and the best of my own marriage, and be prudent with all others. I started thinking, Solomon, man, that was excessive. Seven, what was it, 700 wives, 300 concubines, or vice versa? It doesn't matter at that point. Wow. Wow. That was a little indulgent there. Imagine what kind of wife he, imagine his marriage if he just had one wife. She would have loved it. I mean, you talk about the bling-bling life for her, <laughs> you know. But so the, the point is, is we need to be wise with women and, and, and win where Solomon lost and we, where, he, where he lost, and we can. And let's pray. Let's ask God to help us with that.